Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. What's wrong with the world and what should we do about it? These are the questions that uh, Chinese President Xi Jinping has raised on various occasions for the world. During the first session of the 17th G20 summit in Bali, Indonesia, he raised it again for his international counterparts. Uh, as the world's two largest economies, uh, what roles should China and the United States play in answering these questions? During their first in-person meeting in three years, Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President President Joe Biden exchanged views under the watchful eyes of the world's media. Both sides described the meeting as candid, reaching agreements on a variety of uh, pressing issues. The two leaders, of course, also discussed how to manage their differences. President Xi also met with other world leaders as the host country Indonesia provides a much-needed platform to address the world's immediate woes, including how to end the war, quote-unquote. Are major countries slowly finding the way or Tao to get along with each other? What tangible outcomes can be expected from Bali? Are there more reasons to be concerned or hopeful? Welcome to a special edition of the opinion show The Point with me Lu Xin coming to you from Beijing. I'm pleased to be joined from Jakarta, Indonesia by Veronica Saraswati, China Study Unit Convener at the Center for Strategic and International Studies, Indonesia. From Berlin, Germany, by Professor Huang Jing, University Professor and Director of the Institute of the United States and Pacific Studies at Shanghai International Studies University. From Washington, D.C., by Professor Yu Kong Huang, Senior Fellow of the Asia Program of the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. And last but not least, in our Beijing studio, by Teng Jianqing, Director of the American Studies Department at the China Institute of International Studies. Uh, the warmest welcome to all of you. Let me go to Professor Huang Yu Kun, probably. Uh, the last time President Xi and Biden met was in 2017 during the World Economic Forum meeting in Davos. The latest meeting on Monday was their first in-person exchange since Biden became president and, of, of course, also the first in three years. Why is it so important for the leaders to meet in person, especially as the bilateral ties have been so bad? Do you think this meeting has made or will make a difference? I think this meeting showed the uh, importance of person-to-person -person contact. President Biden and President Xi had discussions via links five times over the last year or two, but really did not address the key issues. I think those of us who follow U.S.-China tensions, I think we breathed a collective sigh of relief that this uh, meeting led to what I call a very positive outcome. And I think it, uh, the moment that actually captures the outcome the best is actually the media picture of the two of them greeting each other and the handshake. They greet each other as longtime friends rather than as adver adversaries. So I think the major point of the meeting was to lower tensions, and I think they accomplished that. In that sense, it's a major success. But there are also a lot of skeptics. They see the issues being very strong. They see the potential of tensions rising over the next six to seven months or even the year. So the big issue is can this uh, agreement, this uh, agreement to contain moderate tensions, is this sustainable over the coming year? Mm.
Professor Huang Jing, of course, we are all delighted to see people smiling, shaking hands as if they're old buddies, but uh, we all have to keep a cool head and, and not be naive or swayed by optics. The United States official readout actually highlighted competition in its very first paragraph, saying it will continue to compete vigorously with China, including by investing in sources of strength at home and with aligning efforts with allies and partners. Is the United States blowing hot and cold air at the same time? I think there are several issues I have to consider into, into the question you just asked. First, that we must understand that Biden's main audience is at home. And given the division in American society and the political polarization, and you have to take care of the home front, that is, under the pressure from the opposition parties of the Republicans and his own party, he has to be politically correct. So in that regard, he have to post as a strong position vis-a-vis -vis China, especially when the Democrats has just lost majority in the House. And secondly, he has to make sure that American allies and so-called partners will not see the United States step down on the competition to China, especially in this kind of situation. Last but not the least, of course, he has to put himself in a kind of bargaining position and also to gain in this kind of conversation with China, including with Xi Jinping, not kind of give people impression uh, he gives in or he has softened his position. Okay, Professor Tung here so in frankly, the Frankly, I think that uncertainty in the U.S. politics uh, is a kind of major issue or major reason that he sounds like, you know, not like what uh, he uh, said. Uh, All right. Professor Tung, I mean, people do things uh, out of interest, right? They are not doing things because of their personal likings or their personal will. Uh, in this case, why do you think the United States feels the need to meet President Xi, to, to sit out this three-hour meeting? And by the way, you know, it's three hours not because it's a half taken by translation. It was simultaneously translated, mm -hmm. so it was proper, substantive discussions they had. Yeah, there are a lot of reasons to explain why the United States at this moment would like to see our president in ballet. I think number one job is to have a stable uh, relations between the two countries, at least after a five years competition or strategy competition between the two countries. I'm sure the United States has already learned something from such a so-called competition. I don't think that yeah. this kind of competition is not good for the United States. Uh, it's, 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 it's there. I think the competition there is only one side of the coin. Another side should be the cooperation between the two countries because uh, the two largest world economies and the two uh, permanent member of the UN Security Council, they should have some common ground to cooperate, not only to have uh, such a competition, because, for example, the in terms of the bilateral relation, we should cooperate in fighting against the pandemic, and also uh, in terms of the, of the world, we can do something dealing with the climate change and mm -hmm. also uh, non-proliferation and also uh, the anti-terrorism. So this is actually a task for the United States and for China. Second, I think we all laid the ground for the cooperation, for example, the midterm election, uh, the, the, the Democratic Party also gets some benefit from the midterm election and also China just wrapped up the 20th Party's Congress. So there should be some uh, you know, blueprint 
for the two countries to go ahead. To All cooperate right. should be the number one job for the two countries. Well, for the host Indonesia, definitely it has been a highlight moment and uh, a lot of work must have gone into that. So let me turn to our guest, uh, Veronica, joining us from Jakarta. Uh, we understand that Indonesia's president has said to the press that uh, uh, America is Indonesia's friend and China is also a friend of Indonesia. So how does the China-US meeting apparently a positive, a candid, in-depth discussion. What does this mean for Indonesia and other emerging countries that have been watching very closely the development of this relationship? Yes, I think uh, both presidents, Chinese President Xi Jinping and American President Biden make a good progress in this moment. So uh, both of them have clarified a direction uh, defined a framework and started a process. For sure, this is a good progress amidst the uh, economic tensions between US and China. And for sure that the good consensus between both of them uh, will give the optimistic, uh, I mean then it will uh, boost the economic growth. I mean because the China and United States as the major power in this world so uh, the good cooperation between China and United States will give a positive impact for Indonesia and for other uh, developing countries. I mean from the uh, economic side and from the security sectors. Yeah. Veronica, you just mentioned the security factor and one of the issues, of course, that's uh, very much on the mind, top of the list of uh, concern for countries, for people in developed countries in Europe, for instance, or in the West, is the Ukraine crisis. And uh, there was a bit of a confusion, actually, because according to Wang Yi, China's uh, state councillor and foreign minister, President Xi Jinping stressed during his meeting with President Biden that the pressing priority is to seek a peaceful settlement of the Ukraine crisis through dialogue and negotiation. Quote-unquote, according to Wang Yi, the use of nuclear weapons must be rejected and nuclear war must never be fought. The world needs to prevent a nuclear crisis on the Eurasian continent. Professor Huang Jing, help us understand a bit more clearly the Chinese position because in the official Chinese readout, in the, the English version of the Chinese readout, this sentence is actually not there. I think the China's position on, on nuclear weapons has always been very clear. That is, China is against the use of nuclear weapons under whatever conditions, especially for the nuclear powers, must take responsibility not to use nuclear weapons in a conflict against others, especially non-nuclear power. I think that is clear, and because we know that nuclear weapons, if used in a conflict as such, it will no limit. So it could provoke an unlimited confrontation uh, with nuclear weapon use, which means that end of war could be the end of all of us. So I think China's position here is clear and without any question, and uh, uh, especially in this Russia and the Ukraine conflict. And there are some rumors or speculations that Russia is going to use tactical nuclear weapons. And of course, the United States and NATO make it very clear that they're going to retaliate severely if Russia do this. That will lead to uh, what we said, a massive confrontation with the nuclear weapons, which is really bad. Mm -hmm. I think that on this regard, uh, again, uh, I don't think China's position 
is ambiguous at all. It's very clear. Mm. Professor Tang here mm. in the studio. Actually, when President Xi Jinping met with the visiting German Chancellor mm. Olaf Scholz, he made it very clear. He said that uh, the use or the threat of use of nuclear weapon is not acceptable, mm -hmm. and they must not. Basically, you know, the same words. So, do you also see there is a consistency and clarity in China's mm. position on this nuclear issue? Uh, you're right. I think China's nuclear policy or nuclear strategy, especially after the nuclear testing in 1964, Chinese government declared that China will not use nuclear weapon against any non-nuclear weapon state and no first use should put on the top agenda. Right now China. we're talking about Russia. Of course, Russia know. just used nuclear weapon as a deterrent you know, or threatened uh, uh, to use. Threatened to use actually is a policy to establish war between Ukraine and uh, NATO to avoid any direct uh, involvement in the conflict between Russia and uh, Ukraine from the NATO countries. So this is actually a, a policy or a little bit tricky policy by the uh, Putin administration just to show the capability to use such a massive destructive means against the, against NATO member states. That cannot be accepted by the countries. It's not a disaster for the European countries, for uh, Russia, but also for the whole not international only. community. So yeah. I think this time uh, NATO also showed the threat to use nuclear weapons and also in initiate large scale of nuclear weapon uh, exercise in, in recent months. So this is a game played by the two sides, I mean by NATO and by Russia. They would like to show the possibility, the muscle, to show their So China's position. message was for everybody, for anybody? Of course, of course, because, you know, early this year, the P5, also the uh, five nuclear weapon states, announced that nuclear weapon cannot be used and uh, all the member states should try the best to avoid right. any armed races in nuclear. Mm. Well, as for China's uh, actual role, what China can actually do for the Ukraine crisis, there's always been the talk or the expectations on a, big, a bigger, a more so-called constructive role or useful role that China can play. Mr. Yu Kunhuang, let me go to you. Professor Xi, of course, touched upon that. He made it clear several points, for instance, what China think of the situation. For instance, there is no winner in a war, that it's a complex issue and not going to have a simple solution, that uh, confrontation between major countries must be avoided. He says on China's role, he said China always stood on the side of peace and will continue to encourage peace talks. We support and look forward to a resumption of peace talks between Russia and Ukraine. At the same time, we hope that the United States, NATO and the EU will conduct comprehensive dialogues with Russia. What is he trying to tell his Western counterparts here? Is he sending a message to Western leaders, to those involved in this conflict, that it is really a business that you have to settle among yourselves? Well, I think President Xi faces what I would call a three-part dilemma. He wants to maintain good relations with the West. He wants to maintain what I call the strong link alliance with Russia. But it also wants to honor what I call principles of sovereignty and should not be interfering in the affairs of other countries. So it's a very difficult situation. The West tends to simplify it by grouping Russia and China together. So Biden refers to Ukraine and other issues 
as a battle between autocracies and democracies. And I think this puts China in a difficult situation. China is not like Russia in many ways. China, for example, requires or wants a rules-based international system in order to prosper. Uh, Russia is different. Russia, with its vast energy resources, has always felt that it could actually conduct foreign policies without worrying about sanctions and pressures from others because it always felt that Europe depended greatly on Russia's vast energy resources. It still remains to be seen whether Western sanctions are going to do what I call serious harm to the Russia in terms of pressuring it. But China certainly stands for what I call trying to reach a peaceful settlement. But at the same time, it feels this uh, dual pressure also from the West. If you look at Asia, what is it that the West has been doing over the last two or three years? Basically, defense agreements, the Quad, the AUKUS. So what is it that China is basically saying? At the same time, you want me to intervene or help resolve the Ukraine crisis. You're also putting conflict and pressures on me in Asia. And you can't have it really both ways. Professor Huang Jing, uh, your reaction to Mr. Huang's uh, remarks there? I think that I agree with uh, Professor Huang Yukun's point that this China is in a kind of awkward position because on the one hand, uh, China does have this agreement with Russia called Comprehensive Strategic Partnership. But on the other hand, uh, China does want to stay and make contribution to the existing international order. And that makes China in a kind of what he called a dilemma. But after all, I think China's position has been very clear. That is, first and foremost, China is, has nothing to do with uh, this kind of conflict. It is not China's uh, making in the first place. Second, China is also not kind of involved in this kind of crisis. In other words, China is not entrapped in the Russia. Basically, so Professor that, Huang, yeah, sorry to interrupt here. What a lot of people are saying is that, look, China is close to Russia, has this rock-solid relationship. Why doesn't China exert more pressure on Russia and make it stop the war? Basically, I think that's the message many people are asking. No, I think that why China should do that. And uh, first and foremost, China has this principle not to intervene into others' internal affairs. And in a large part, China thinks the decision for Putin to launch this so-called military special operation is a Russian's idea, it's Russian's affair, and China is in no position to tell President Putin, hey, stop doing that. And I don't think China says so in that kind of position. And secondly, China sees that the conflict original reason, the very reason for this conflict is a Cold War mentality and Cold War behavior, which means that after the Cold War ended, everybody says Soviet Union is defeated and Cold War ended. But the NATO, not only NATO, uh, does NATO still exist? Uh, we know NATO is a military alliance vis-a-vis the Warsaw Pact, and Warsaw Pact disappeared a long time ago. But not only does NATO still exist, but keeps expanding eastward, all the way until Ukraine and so on and so forth. And, and now extending to Northeast Asia. Asia. Right. And now, yeah, and now to... try to get into everywhere. Yeah. So that is right. what we call cold mentality and cold behavior. That is a reason for all this conflict. That's China's narrative, okay. not just Russia's narrative. Last but not the least, of yes. course, uh, China says this is not a kind of simple war between Russia and Ukraine, but between Russia and the entire Western countries led by the United States. And it's their support of Ukraine that has made this war lingering, makes the blood keep shedding, and that's the reason. So oh. I think China believes that if we really want to bring peace to this matter, we should first and foremost stop backing up or supporting 
both sides to work provide has to start. weapons and social force and uh, therefore also. urge them to sit down. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah, I have to interrupt you there because there's uh, still some topics I want to touch upon. The common interest. I mean, I, I know uh, there are still a lot of differences, but uh, we have seen, perhaps for the first time in uh, a long while, that both sides, I mean, China and the United States, emphasizing that there are more, not less, common interests between the two sides. Veronica, what do you read out of these positive signals? Because the world really are gripped with a lot of challenges. And if China and the United States say that, you know, we see common interests, we see mutual interests, that must be good news for everybody. Yeah, sure. This is a good news for everybody that finally Chinese president and American president can sit together and can make a candid dialogue. For sure, this is a good, good progress. And uh, the common interest between China and United States is lying on the economic growth. And this is in line with expectations for all over the world amidst the economic downturns in our world uh, as following the pandemic. So for these situations, is we strongly expect that uh, both China and United States keep commitment in maintaining the stability of the security because the conflicts just will lead to the, the chaotic situations and it will give a negative, for sure, this is a negative impact for the economic growth. So cooperations in the, based on the common interest and uh, economic growth is not only uh, the common interest for uh, both China and United States, but also for all over the world. Yeah. We need the economic growth uh, instead of conflicts, yeah, this is, right. this is my point. Uh, economic cooperation is the, the best way, as the, the best solutions to come out from this economic downturns. Indeed, I think, I think the, the two leaders addressed the expectations, Mr. Tung here in the stood, addressed the expectations of the world. Uh, as Veronica said, you know, economic recovery after COVID-19, climate change, food crisis, energy crisis. Take climate change, for example, uh, COP27 is going on. Um, China and the United States issued a joint statement in Glasgow last time, but because of Pelosi's visit mm -hmm. to Taiwan, mm -hmm. China announced, you know, the, the freezing mm -hmm. of uh, climate change communication. Now, China says, you know, we want to continue to cooperate. Has a page been turned mm -hmm. on this, fortunately? Yes, I think this is a really a big topic for the two countries to cooperate to deal with the uh, climate change. We have witnessed the droughts, wildfire, and the floods in recent years. This is really a common challenge. So uh, the two countries, especially the two major powers, should play their role in this regard because, you know, the, as the uh, agreement reached before, uh, especially during Obama's administration, mm -hmm. uh, I think China and the United States did contribute greatly to the Paris Accord and some other arrangement for uh, the measures to deal with the climate change. So mm -hmm. this time is a good platform, is a good opportunity for the two countries yeah. to continue the cooperation in this regard. Okay. Um, Mr. Yu Kun Huang, let me come back to you. Are we being too optimistic? I mean, 
<laughs> this is, for the moment, of course, it sounds good, welcome signal, but look, for instance, former President Donald Trump just announced his entering the race to run for the next U.S. president. The next two years, Mr. Biden, he will lose very much the House. Um, are we going to see a relatively quieter, more mature period of time in international relations, especially bilateral ties, or should we still be very, very cautious? You know, to be honest, I think we have to be a bit skeptical. There are two key issues which are driving tensions between the United States and China. One is Taiwan. The other is the trade and technology war. And if you think about Taiwan and you hear messages, for example, that Kevin McCarthy, the likely new Speaker of the House, he's already announced that he wants to lead a delegation to visit Taiwan, just like Nancy Pelosi did. Mm. That will raise a lot of problems. There are going to be elections in Taiwan the coming year. That will also trigger tensions. On technology and the economy, the United States on October 7th initiated a broad restrictions on availability of advanced semiconductors available to China. This will have a major impact on China's ability to innovate and become more technology sophisticated. Even will restrict, for example, China's production of the more advanced green technologies, so even climate change will be affected. And I think this is actually going to be broadened under the coming Congress. So on both these key issues, there's a lot of likelihood or possibility that tensions will get worse rather than better. Okay, one minute left. I'm going to give it to Professor Huang Jing in Berlin. What is your take of the things to come? I mean, we are we're having both signals right and at the same time this story coming out of germany that uh, the, the its minister in charge of science and technology may likely receive a delegation from taiwan the first ever official contact between the two sides right after german chancellor visited china came home, going home with uh, positive outcomes so professor huang uh, frankly i'm not optimistic at all i think the u.s china relationship may get worse before it's getting better because it is push a driver is not really bilateral relationship, neither China or United States. It's domestic politics in the United States. And first and second, United States adopt both sides, Republican Democrats, sees China as most serious challenger United States has ever met. Last but not the least, of course, the conflict of interest is there is very just like Yukon Huan just said, it's very clear. So I, I do now see that this is a, a Good beginning. I think that it is actually uh, this, the, the bilateral relationship will still be very tense or even tenser given the upcoming, you know, uh, uh, campaign because both sides, Republicans and the uh, Democrats, uh, President Biden, already entered the kind of election mood earlier, and that will also makes the bilateral relationship very difficult to manage. All right. Well, on a, on a not so rosy note, uh, I think it is better to be somber. Thank you so much for all my guests, Veronica Saraswati, uh, Professor Huang Jing, Mr. Yu Kung Huang, and uh, Teng, Teng Jianqun here in the studio. Thank you very much for joining us. And that's it for this edition of The Point with me, Nishin. As usual, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Nishin in Beijing. You've got the point. <laughs>